Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. This podcast is brought to you by the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Sturette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you guided mobility videos. It walks you step-by-step through Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Try it completely free for two weeks, and if you decide to continue, you can get 10% off for life using the promo code PROJECT10. Hurry up, because the code expires October 1st. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with a lawyer by trade, but a professional cyclist, former professional cyclist, and the founder of Roadman Coaching, the host of Roadman Cycling Podcast. Someone who uses biohacks, nutrition, and bike training in combination to help athletes and everyday people achieve their ultimate goals. I'm sitting down with Anthony Walsh. Anthony, coming all the way from Dublin, how are you doing today? Good, buddy. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm pumped about this. Likewise, likewise. You are the first person we've had on this show, the first expert around um, the endurance world. So we've had a lot of people on here talking about strength and stuff, but your background is going to come from the endurance side of it. But from our previous chat, I know your background is not not just endurance. So why don't you do, do a quick little, let the other people know who you are, where you started. Yeah, so I suppose I definitely didn't come a direct line to where I am now. I, I think it's a misconception that people always think you get from where you start to where you are in a straight line. Mine was like the most zigzag journey you can imagine. So I was a professional soccer player when I was in school and always thought like, I'm not going to university. I will be a professional soccer player. Mm. And then that didn't happen for one reason or another. I went to university, studied law, qualified as a lawyer over here after seven painstaking enough years in university, all quite expensive, as you can imagine. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Started practicing law. And in the first year of practicing law, I got offered a professional cycling contract. Uh, like I wasn't out of the blue. I was getting better in amateur. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, think I was starting to win a lot of amateur stuff and moved away, jacked law, because I was like, you know, I can always come back to law, but this is, I framed it as a once in a lifetime chance. So I packed up everything, couldn't speak the language, knew nobody, and I moved to France. And I was living out there on the glamorous salary of 50 euro per week. The interesting weeks are where you have to choose between food and bandages after crashing. (laughs) (laughs) So real rock and roll stuff, no hot water, like, you know, literally not spending a penny in a cafe and bakeries, things like this. It was real budget discount shopping to survive. Got a slightly better contract the year after. In France, slightly better contract. In Canada, slightly better contract the year after in the US. And I suppose while I was always on this journey, I'm fascinated by storytelling. And if you look at the, the story arc of any like good Hollywood movie, there's this external journey that the main character's on. That's like, you know, to win the princess's heart or whatever. But the internal journey for me is often a much more interesting one. And for me, the external journey was to try and get to the top tiers of uh, professional cycling but for me really what it was about and it's something i've actually never spoke about on a podcast is my dad suffered a lot from obesity he had a mm-hmm. accident he used to be a professional badminton player and he had an accident where he lost his toe 
And he piled on loads of weight after that. So I always grew up seeing the lifestyle limitations that excess weight brings. So when I started cycling, for me, it was really a promise to myself to never have these lifestyle limitations. So that's what I was always really chasing. And when I wrapped up my cycling career and I decided it was time to start paying back some of those law school loans, I went on this you know, sort of four-year journey of building business after business. I'd set up the cycling coaching company and that went great. You know, it, it popped off to, you know, a hundred clients inside a couple of months. And then before I knew it, I had 15 coaches working in the company. And then I thought I was, you know, the next Mark Zuckerberg. I decided to build a cycling <laughs> coaching app. We raised a big round out of Silicon Valley for a cycling coaching app. Then I bought a cafe here in Dublin, set up an event pre-registration company. This is over the course of three or four years. But what I noticed was I was starting to get gradually unhappier. And I was, for the first time in my life, I was starting to put on weight. And I can remember vividly the moment where this all came to a head. And I shit you not, this was like one of the most turning point moments in my life. I went to a, a local race and it's like category one, which is the top category in cycling and some pro guys. Now, I hadn't been training properly, if I'm honest, for two years at this point. I've been showing up, but I've always been making excuses, never standing on a weighing scales, like avoiding anything that would give me a reality check as to my current fitness. But I went out to this race and I literally lasted five kilometers hanging with these guys. And I was cramping by the end of the 150K race. And it was a four-day race. And I packed it in on day one, got into the car. I told my teammates I was injured and I had to go home. And I honestly cried on that car journey home. And I didn't cry because I was getting dropped in a bike race. I actually cried because I'd realized and I had this big aha moment that I was breaking the promise that I made to myself that I'd never talked about. I was breaking the promise that I was never going to let weight or obesity limit my lifestyle choices. And I was looking down and I've seen a guy drifting towards his mid thirties who was now like overweight And I was like, what the fuck? Like I've become the person I never thought I'd be. And up to that point, I'd always had friends who were married and working nine to five jobs. And they joke around at me saying I didn't have a proper job because I was, you know, entrepreneur and I was out riding my bike all day. And they're like, oh, you'll know what it's like when you're in the real world. You see how much energy you have then because I'd be teasing them for sitting on the couch watching Netflix and drinking beer after work. And I just had this moment going like, fuck. I am them. Like, this is my new reality. Like the traveling the world, riding my bike, being healthy, just like having a six pack and taking that for granted. Mm -hmm. Like that's the part one of my life. Part two of my life is I'm this fat dude who has to make excuses and worry about like, Oh, can I go play five aside soccer with the guys? Can I go on a hundred mile bike ride with my friends? And I have to make excuses as to why I can't. So at that point, I was just like, nah, like this isn't happening. So I had a friend who's a mentor and he's built some huge business, some of the biggest businesses in the world. Like if I named the businesses you guys know, he's a big Irish entrepreneur. And I talked to him and he said, look, if you can sell everything, sell all your businesses Hmm. and go like press full reset on this and figure out what he called a big domino like the big one thing that's going to really move the needle for your entire life. So I was lucky enough and managed to sell all the businesses. So I had a little bit of money to go traveling. And I took got to two years out where I went across China, Bali, Dubai, Indonesia. And I went just looking for answers, but I didn't even know what the question was that I was looking for answers to. And eventually after about six months, I kind of settled on one question. And I said, how can I use cycling as a tool for health and happiness and longevity? 
And that once I had that as a focus point, I went traveling the world in search of answers to that question. So I went seeking out mentors in strength and conditioning, seeking out mentors in, you know, designing morning routines, biohacking, cold therapy, heat exposure, grounding, all the craziest shit you can imagine. Mm -hmm. I was trying to look at performers in every industry and not even limited to sport. Like what are the top hedge fund managers on Wall Street? What are they doing to optimize health? And what are the Hollywood A-listers, celebrities? What are they doing to optimize health? And then pulling it all back into a package for like just using, really using cycling as that tool to be healthy, happy, and live longer. But it could be anything. Like it could be insert running into that. It could be insert gym work into that. It was all the supplemental stuff around it. It just so happens that cycling was the thing I love to do. Well, yeah, it was a, as I said at the start of that one, it wasn't a straight journey from here to there. <laughs> so to answer your question in a very long form way, uh, yeah, definitely not straight. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's obviously worked out. You now have a business up and running. So what is the focus on now? Because you, you were a pro cyclist. Do you still work with pro cyclists or are you work with everyday people? You know what? It, it, that's actually a great question. Um, mm-hmm. So when I came back sort of with the coaching company 2.0, I wasn't even sure I was trading, you know, current uh, Forex. I was trading some commodities and cryptocurrencies and stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm pretty, I, I'm not going to pretty nice lifestyle out of this. Now I figured out kind of this framework for health and happiness and longevity. And it's a series of routines that I put myself through, like morning routines, really controlling the first hour and the last hour of the day and stuff that I'll try and tick off the list each day. And it was working great for me. And I thought, you know what? That's it. I'm making cash. I'm doing this happy days. And a friend of mine who was, you know, in Canada, you'd call him an alcoholic. In Ireland, we call him a social drinker. (laughs) You know, sort of guy drinks two, three times a day. Uh, (laughs) Chain smoker, he got onto me. He's like, you know, all that stuff you're doing, the, you know, the biohacking stuff, the light, the coals, the seawater. He's like, can you show me how to do this? And I was like, no, like, I'm not showing you how to do this. Like, you're a degenerate. Like you're a pretty habitual drug user. Like you don't need to use you're this. You're not going to make it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, nah, this isn't for you, bro. And he, he kept nagging me and said like, come on, come on, show me. And eventually I said, okay, I will show you. And I'm also going to get nine of my other degenerate friends, the most degenerate I could find. And I put them into what I kind of ironically call like a high achieving beta group because none of them are high achievers. And I put them into this group and I said like, you guys are going to do fucking two to the letter what I tell you. And they went through it for six weeks. And honestly, what happened in that six weeks is the reason I got back into cycling coaching and teaching this stuff again. Because previously I'd been used to working with, you know, kids who are trying to make it as professional athletes. And you might get a 1% improvement to 2% improvement. If you do an exceptional job, a 5% improvement off one of these kids, these guys in this beta group, I was getting like 50% improvements. They were losing like 40 kilograms of body weight, like 80 pounds. Like over the course of 12 months, they were like, you know, one of them, he's like, I haven't had sex with my wife in like six years. I'm back like a teenager having sex with my wife. And because of that, now I have self-confidence. I'm losing weight. I'm able to speak up and work. And I, I hope fast- that guy's on your, I hope that guy's on your, your testimonials for your website. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff you can't put on websites. <laughs> but for me, that was just such a, like a real human, you know, it wasn't a bullshitty LinkedIn bio or, you know, a website testimonial. It was real. Like another client, uh, he was living in Qatar. He's from Holland. And again, huge weight loss. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but he went from completely sedentary, like fat couch potato to finish an Ironman in under 10 hours. And 
in the course of that, he went from the tech guy who was, you know, the fat tech guy in the corner in his office to landing a date with the hot girl in the office to marrying the hot girl in the office to now <laughs> having two kids with the hot girl in the office. Like his confidence boomed. And I was at his wedding just before COVID started. And it was amazing, like him talking about what a fork in the road moment that was in his life. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's the shit that gets me off. It's like, it, it's a small part of his journey. You know, it's just steering him in the right direction. You know, it's a lot of, you know, good work from him following plans and, you know, motivation and discipline, but it's just being able to give someone a push in that right direction. As corny as it sounds, I was like, oh, I'm just not going to get this from going back to law. This is a, mm-hmm. this is a drug I need to keep pursuing. You, you become a transformational force in someone's life. That, that's what it is. And yeah. to you and I, to you and I in the same, same realm, you can't go to people and say, hey, this is what's going to happen when you lose 60 pounds. Because we don't know if someone loses a bunch of weight. We know they'll be healthier but we don't know how it's going to happen. What, what's next? We don't know if their sex life's going to improve because we probably don't know anything about their sex life in the beginning because people don't talk about that, right? Or they don't say, hey, now I got the hot girl in the office. I've got a failing at things I always wanted. And that's the downside of health and fitness. You don't know what the possibilities really are until you get it. And it's going to be unique and different from person to person. But the fact that you're hooked on being that transformational force into someone's life, yeah, I, I get that. I see why you wouldn't want to go back and do, do law. Like it almost completely changes what goal setting is because when we think about goal setting, we always think of, you know, those stupid things you learned in your goal setting textbooks about a smart, measurable, realistic time achievement. It's like yeah. you've no idea when you're 50 kilograms overweight, when you're like 70, 80 pounds overweight, like what goal you can achieve when you take that body weight off. It's like mm-hmm. for him to run a 5K was a stretch target. If he went to a career guy, they'd be like, oh, stick a 5K in the next six months. That's a great goal. Like he completed an Ironman. Like you've no idea of the goals you can achieve when that weight comes off because it's it's like carrying sandbags. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned before that you, you started with the biohacks. What are some of the favorite biohacks you like to use um, or that you just you know randomly fell into and now you're like, oh, this is a gold one? Yeah, you know, a cold therapy was pretty transformative for me. And um, I came across a story from, his name is Ray Cronice. He was a NASA material science engineer, basically a, a rocket scientist at NASA. And he was packing some fudge. He was a fat dude. <laughs> and he wanted to lose weight. And so as all Matt's guys do, he figured out this has got to be a mathematical equation to lose mm-hmm. weight. So he said, okay, it's a calories in versus calories out. And then he went studying case studies and he found, you know, multiple endurance examples from, you know, Chris Froome, Tour de France winning cyclist to Michael Phelps, where they're consuming upwards of 12,000 calories a day. So you take Phelps as an example, he was consuming something like 12,000 calories a day, if you believe the reports at the time. And then you look at the training he was doing and he's not burning 12,000 calories a day, yet he's at five, 6% body fat. So Ray Cronice went down this uh, journey, a rabbit hole and said, there's got to be something else happening here because it can't be in and out. So what was happening was the exact same thing that was happening on, on his calculations for rockets re-entering space. It was thermodynamic load. It was heat. So Phelps was in the cold water all day. with was body fighting to stay warm. Mm-hmm. So that was burning more calories for him. So that was what started me on the journey hearing that. I had some excess calories to burn at the time. And I was up around 19, 20% body fat. And I was like, okay, I, I could definitely do it a few hacks here. And I heard that story. And then I went a super famous guy here in Europe. It's Wim Hof. And he's a 
a disciple of the cold. He almost turns it into a religious experience. But I was lucky that I found the guy who trained very close with Wim Hof and he lived so close to my house. I rang him up and he was like stoked to have me on this camp. He was just starting out in his journey. He'd come back from Poland from hanging with Wim Hof in the snow and hiking mountains in his bare feet wearing boxer shorts. And he taught me about colds and taught me about not just its, you know, the, the physiological benefit of cold of changing white fat to brown fat, which is the sort of fat we want as a healthy fat, but the power of it for just quieting the mind as well. And that was set me on a, a, another journey where I was like, physical is, you know, it, it's only one half of the equation here. We need to be happy in ourselves. And the cold is a way of, you know, you could be a rich man, you could be a poor man, the cold will completely still and focus your mind and it will shut it off. And in a very overstimulated, over distracted society, there's very few things that can focus your mind like absolute cold because all you can think about survival. So when you couple those two benefits, getting into cold just became such a crucial part of my routine. And I'm lucky enough to live beside the RC. So finding cold water is not very difficult over here <laughs> so that's what you utilize you go into the sea you don't do ice baths or do you do cold showers you know what i have uh, my daily podcast the roadman cycling podcast and i had a, a guy on two weeks ago who was brilliant he's the founder of a company called ice barrel and uh, they actually deliver all over i must i'll send you a, a link off air uh, if you want to link it up for your listeners yes uh, they send ice barrels all over the US, uh, Canada, all over North America. But what they came up with a great design for it because it's a traditional barrel, like a like a beer barrel or a Guinness <laughs> barrel. But he's built a layer of insulation inside in the barrel so you can keep it inside in your apartment or outside in your back garden. Uh, he built a little step up to it and everything. So it actually hasn't arrived for me yet, but I've one due to arrive. So I'm stoked to get that and start using that. But yeah, for the last couple of years, I've just been... <laughs> into the RC. So after this, it's like 6 p.m. over here, Irish time. But after this, I've got high tide. So I'll be yeah, jumping into the RC again this evening. So that's the protocol. New person comes on board. Hey, I want to lose some weight. You say, all right, tomorrow you're going to jump in the sea. And people, people dive into that. You know what? We're, so <clears throat> obviously where you're looking at uh, assessing where they are and where they want to go, but cold therapy is one of the things we're really utilizing and trying to build in to their routines. And the idea is some of this stuff is super hard at the beginning. Like if there's a great book, uh, it's called thinking fast and slow. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea of how do we take uh, have you read it? No, but I know of the book. I, yeah. I, I literally got a book off Amazon yesterday and that one was recommended and I yeah, just it, moved past it. It's good. It's the, the the premise of it is. I actually don't know if you need, need to read the full book. You could go check a YouTube video and get the premise of it, and it's you're learning it all nearly. But it's like, how do we take something from a behavior that takes a lot of willpower to something that's automated? Like, how tired do you have to be to brush to skip brushing your teeth before going to bed? Like, you never do that. You come mm -hmm. in after twenty five pints of beer and six pizzas, and you just automatically brush your teeth. Mm -hmm. But people will skip like ab day they will skip leg day i don't have the motivation for that and that's because they haven't changed the process to an automated one the classic example he uses in the book is when we started driving we use stick shifts over here in europe mm -hmm. so when you start a drive in a manual transmission there's so much to remember it's like okay clutch now i gotta shift check my mirror shift and you're nervous as fuck doing this you fast forward six months like you're on your phone you're on the radio you're like <laughs> drinking a kind of beer out the window <laughs> You're driving away and you don't even think about, okay, clutch, shift gear. Yeah. It's just 
automated. You've changed the pathway from a type one to a type two decision-making pathway. So we try and get clients to make small little incremental changes one at a time to shift something from something that takes discipline and motivation to something now that's an automated behavior. And so we start building in little series of routines like, so an example for a morning routine would be first thing you get up in the morning, you're trying to get somebody to get ice cold water in straight away with some like Celtic sea salt and lemon. That's like first thing in the morning. Second, you're trying to get them to get grounded, like get your feet in contact with the earth. It's amazing. The benefits mm. to it, like anti-inflammatory benefits to getting your skin in contact with soil and muck and actually letting the sun hit your back. So it's even out in the backyard and short off and just letting your feet hit the soil. And then it's, for me, it's cold therapy. So if it's, I can't get into the sea, it's literally just turning the dial on the shower to cold and trying to do two to four minutes of just in the cold. And then the last thing I do, it's journal. It's literally brew my morning coffee, sit down at the table and I journal and I'll start off and I'll put down two or three things that I'm grateful for because it's very difficult to start the day and be pissed off or angry and simultaneously grateful. So mm-hmm. if you put down three things you're grateful for, and it's so easy at the moment to be grateful. <clears throat> stuff yeah. like you and me sitting in nice warm houses with microphones on front of us and you just need to flick on the news for a second and you have so many reasons to be grateful mm-hmm. so starting off the day in that positive momentum and you know what the thing with cold is as well like i'm not sure if anyone else tries or even encourage you to try it yourself or try get, get your listeners to try it for a week there is not one fucking single day that you go to do the cold that you will think it's a good idea you will come up with a reason to go, not today. You'll mm-hmm. go, oh, I, I had a hard gym session today. Like my legs are sore. Maybe it won't benefit me. I'm getting, oh, my throat's getting a little bit scratchy. Could I be getting sick? Maybe I shouldn't get in the cold today. You have this little bitch voice that wants to talk you out of it. And every day I have to have this schizophrenic conversation with that little bitch voice and say, shut the fuck up. I'm the boss. When I say we're doing something, we're doing something. This isn't a discussion. This is like, I say it, it gets done. It's not like a dialogue. And when you start the day with that, it creates such a positive momentum for the rest of your day. Like the tasks you can accomplish when you're building that, because willpower is a muscle. Mm-hmm. And you're just creating such a strong willpower muscle by doing something shit and difficult at the start of every day. Like I always say to my clients, and one of our sort of catchphrases with the clients internally is just do hard things, constantly doing hard things. Do hard things. I love that. You mentioned before in the morning, you said three things. I want to ask why for each one. You said the ice water, the lemon, the sea salt. And then you said in anti-inflammatory with just rooting your feet. And then you mentioned sunlight. So what does the water that's ice cold, lemon and sea salt, what does that do for the body? First thing in the morning. So it's the idea is building a series of these positive routines. And the first thing when we're asleep for, hopefully, if you've read Matt Walker's brilliant book, Why We Sleep, you're sleeping yep. for eight hours you know minimum each night and you get up and water and hydration is so crucial to us not just as athletes but as you know organisms we're made up predominantly of water so our body is absolutely crying out for water first thing in the morning and what do we want to give it we want to give it coffee we want to give it something that dehydrates us so it's just this practice of listening to the body, being in tune with the body and actually giving it what it wants. And the salts, especially if you can get a Celtic sea salt or a Himalayan sea salt or something like that, it's brilliant for just electrolytes first thing in the morning, starting off with a positive electrolyte hit. Um, the lemon is sort of like a, it's a detoxifying antioxidant. And when you're mixing it in with the salts and the water first thing in the morning, it's just a great, simple way to kickstart your morning. And it's not 
you know, it's not potions and supplements and mm-hmm. no packages. Think, yeah. Marketers that have us believe we need to spend money all the time. You need to buy stuff and it, it needs to be like health. I find it's a game of subtraction, not a game of addition. You don't need more stuff. You need less stuff to be healthy. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't need more processed stuff. You need to eat closer to what, you know, food is found in its natural environment. If you can't pick it from a tree, pull it from the ground or kill it, you probably shouldn't be eating it. Mm-hmm. And I find like that's everything with health. It's simplification. Yeah, it is. We have too many options. Society has given us too many options now. You can, my, my wife and I were talking about this, you know, about an hour ago. We were saying, talk about, you know, the fate of health is that everything is so easy. And you look at children, we got kids and stuff, and you see children all the time now or, kids are overweight like kids are kids should not be overweight they are not it's not that they're not exercising they're eating high processed foods anything they want they can have like in an instance they don't have to work for anything physically to get anything anymore and it's a problem it's a problem but what you said about addition there's so many additions and you're you're 100 right you need to start subtracting a bunch of that stuff you know what we're too fucking soft like where is the it's we're talking about kids overweight but i'd extend it to Man, like, why the fuck are men overweight? We used to ride shirtless on horseback into war. Where's that fucking dude gone? <laughs> like, sitting at home on the fucking couch, eating chips, drinking beer, watching Netflix, like, click, click. That's like, not the same warrior. No, nah, they're pussies now. It's like, where the fuck is the real men gone? And it's like, it's a badge of shame almost to be a real man now. It's, you know, and in cycling at the moment, and I, I, you're a strength and conditioning man, the same debates happening in your area. It's like transgenders in sport. And it's, we're dominated by conversations that are on the fringes and we're losing sight of the main shit we need to be looking at. Like mm-hmm. as a, like the 80%, the 80, 20, the Pareto principle, like the 80% of us in the center are gone doughy as fuck. We're lazy. We're too soft. Like we're not designed to be indoors in, you know, I've lived in Canada for a bit. It's like air conditioning in the summer, heating in the winter. It's like we're designed to be very cold and very warm. We cope well. We're hunter-gatherers. We can mm-hmm. track prey for weeks to find the prey. We can live off our – we don't need constant carbohydrates from Tim Hortons every two hours. We can adapt and burn fat as a fuel source for weeks on end. You know, So it's starting to do difficult, hard things again, like fast and go one day two days three days with no food you want conversation the conversation i have all the time about weight loss and fat loss is i, I tell people to stop eating and i say just eat less they say well, no, what do you mean i need my 2000 calories I'm like you you don't need 2000 you you need 300 because you have so much excess on you and you can walk from ottawa to toronto with the amount of body fat on your body and you'll make it you don't need a snack on the way our school systems are overloading kids with snacks programs snacks day camps snacks and i i i I tell them don't give my kid snacks i give him he has breakfast lunch dinner doesn't need snacks he'll make it because i'm going to give him regular food and he doesn't need a snack but they're being conditioned it's a snack society there's snacks everywhere it's it's, it blows my mind like the twitter founder jack dorsey when i was on this trial of studying top performers like one of you know he's the ceo of twitter and the ceo of square but he's also someone who's super into optimizing for health he eats at lunchtime on friday and doesn't eat again until lunchtime on monday every week he'll hydrate during that period he'll yeah. drink coffee but no food a fast every single week 
some dudes are like think the world's caving in if they don't eat for seven hours mm-hmm. it's like but i actually am in a weird spot now where i need some hardship to appreciate some comfort like i'm dogging on netflix but i still have netflix and i enjoy it. my girlfriend sitting down and watching a netflix movie but I only enjoy that now because of contrast. If I'm out in the piss and rain and the cold and I ride my bike for six hours in the elements, then I appreciate coming home and having a warm fire on, on a cozy couch. But if I was to sit down on that couch all day and watch TV, like work from home on my laptop, and then to like switch off from working on my laptop, flick on a bigger screen and watch Netflix, like, you know what? You fast forward two, five years down the road, you're substance abuse problems are rife and i'd fucking end up sucking on a gun or some shit like it's mm-hmm. it's not good yeah it be it becomes habit a very bad habit but it becomes your daily thing right it's hard it's hard we're in a we're in a funny place at the mm-hmm. moment as a society everyone's just they're lazy and they're scared of hardship i agree with everything you said when you talked about like men being men and i just i don't i don't see I don't see a lot of great role models for young men these days. There's no, there's no hard asses out there. I mean, I mean, when I grew up, I grew up in a military family, right? It's different. I talked to anyone who grew up in a military family, there's standards in the military. Some countries really push that and then they do well and people meet it. And then that's kind of just how it is. Things have changed now. You don't see so many war heroes anymore. You know, obviously if there's, you know, Canada's not really going to war, um, but you know, you don't see those hard, those hard men anymore. It sounds like every now and then you have those conversations with with your clients where you have to kind of harden them up a little bit. Do you do that or do you kind of be soft around it? Yeah, you know, no, it, it's, you know, me and you talking here, it's easy to, you know, hypothesize about the, the bigger picture, but each case is very individual and some guys do need an arm around the shoulder rather than a hammer across the head. But it's, we're in a place definitely where the default option for people is, looking for the path of least resistance in everything and you know i'm talking a lot of my clients are coming to me at the moment going we're in a place now where it's like oh should i get the vaccine should i not get the vaccine i'm like well get the vaccine if you want to get the vaccine but don't get the vaccine because you think it's a band-aid for everything else in your health like getting the vaccine like getting a job isn't a replacement for sleeping eight hours a night hydrating well moving 10,000 steps a day, doing your fucking bike sessions, getting into the ice, making good food choices. It's not an either or here. You can't be a fat, overweight dude. Uh, like you need to look at the, like the COVID numbers of fatalities and you cross-reference that with obesity levels. Like 78% of people worldwide that have died of COVID are clinically obese. But no one wants to have that conversation because it's a hard one to move the dial and move the needle on obesity. 100%. It's an easy one to take a job. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely not anti-vax, like the scientists that worked on this, I'm sure, you know, they're great scientists, but it's, you can't take a pill, you can't take a jab, you can't take a, a magic potion that patches over bad lifestyle. hundred percent. When you look at the, the US, the US has some of the highest death rates, right? Two out of three Americans today are obese. One out of three is morbidly obese, right? So the, and, you, and they even put it in, in the media. I saw there was a, a young fellow, I think he was in his uh, early 30s, and he had passed from COVID. And unfortunate, his mother was obviously very upset, and she was being interviewed. And she made a comment. She's like, this shouldn't happen to him. He's young. He's healthy. This is not supposed to happen. Unfortunately, 
they showed a photo of the young guy and and he was you know 45 50% body fat he was significantly overweight but no one saw it you know they were blind to it they were you, this guy's he's because he doesn't have uh, something else it's just okay for everyone to be a lot overweight and that's now our our standard or our norm yeah. and you're right it's a hard conversation to have but it's it's true things would be totally different if the average person was not you know overweight but you know we're in a place right here at the moment i haven't been following canada's uh, rules around it but so to go into a restaurant here at the moment you need to show a vaccine pass so they've created a, a two-tier system like it's discriminatory based on health mm-hmm. but i was i was sitting in sauna this morning and i was thinking about this and i was like imagine the cdc tomorrow came out and they acknowledged the fact that obesity plays such a big role in this so instead of a vaccine passport now it became a body mass index passport so you go down to your local restaurant and you say, can I have a table for two? And they go, oh, sorry, you're too fat to come in here. Like there'd be marches in the street. There'd be protests mm-hmm. everywhere. Like discrimination just isn't right. Like mm-hmm. everyone has their own reasons for being overweight. People have their own reasons for not wanting to take a job. I can't remember a single time in history where discrimination for any reason has been right and correct. And I just mm-hmm. don't feel like this is going to be any different. Mm-hmm. You mentioned early on about being, and well, I mentioned you were a trans- tr- transformational force in people's lives and stuff like that. When working with with new people today, if someone comes in, like, how do you start with them? You know, with everything going on right now, are you like, hey, you're at risk here? Like, do you just lay it right on the table? Or are you like, hey, we're going to go biohacking 101. We're going to start off with the basics. You're trying to assess. So I suppose there, there's two things when somebody comes in. Uh, I like to use the analogy of a car GPS. So if you want to plot from, you're in Ottawa now and you want to go uh, down to Toronto, you want to, your GPS wants to know, okay, where are you and where do you want to go? And when, once it has those two data points, it can start to figure out around your constraints. Okay, I want to stop for gas. Here's my waypoint. It can start to figure out your route. So that's mm-hmm. exactly what I want to do as a coach. I want to figure out, okay, where are they right now and where do they want to go? So where are they right now? I'll put them through like a, a fitness screening protocol where it'll be cycling is brilliant for our scientific advancements in the last decade. So we use something called power meters, which is strain gauges built into pedals on bikes. So it measures force. So you could be <laughs> in uh, Ottawa right now. I can get you to go through this fitness protocol and it will ping it remotely up onto the cloud. So I can analyze your, your data basically in real time. So it's like on, on your shoulder, with you. So we'll assess uh, and grade them against their peers for their ability to produce 10-second power. How hard can you go full gas for 10 seconds? Then how hard can you go one minute full gas for five minutes full gas, for 20 minutes full gas? And I'll take this data and I'll measure it against their peers to create a a comparison of where they're sitting right now because this (laughs) will take into account their fitness and also their weight in bulk because it's it's a watts per kilogram measurement we're looking for. Watts is the force they produce and we'll divide that by their weight in kilograms. So that'll give me an idea of where they are. And then I'll start figuring out where they want to go. Like how ambitious are their targets? You know, does this guy want to try and get a professional contract in cycling or does he want to go and do, you know, the hundred mile company charity ride six months from now? And often depending on their availability to train and how committed they are to this program or their mm-hmm. life circumstances, you know, if like if you have a starting point of, you know, we'll just call your starting point X and you say you want to go and ride the Tour de France, but you can only train four hours a week. Like there's a conversation straight away me going, okay, well, this ain't going to happen. You know, unless your starting point X is just below Tour de France level, you know, this isn't happening. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's a big part of the early discussion going, okay, well, if you're only committing two, three hours a week to this plan, 
there's very limited amount we can move the needle for you. You're looking at really try for bike riding like minimum eight hours a week for somebody. And then you're trying to integrate in some of these passive strategies as well. Try and get them, you know, take phone calls when they're walking, try and use and stand up desks, things like this to, to make a little bit better use of time they're spending on other projects. Do you utilize a uh, strength training with uh, clients or do you, is it the bike your main source? Yeah. So strength training in the gym and strength training on the bike. Yeah. Both of them. Uh, it, it's interesting because I've been cycling, I suppose, got to 15 years now and then 10 years since I was, you know, actively a pro cyclist. But at the time the jury was out on, should you strength train, should you strength train maybe only in the winter? But yeah, it's like research papers in the last few years are conclusive. Like you need to be adding strength training in like for bone density, production of absolute force. It's, it's game changer for cyclists. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is there a heavy amount uh, of volume for lower body over upper body? I mean, usually you see the guys in the shirts, they don't have the the thickest of arms. I don't think that would be very applicable um, when you're trying to, to spike a high VO2 max. Yeah. You know, a lot of core stability type stuff, uh, upper body, uh, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised at how good at body weight exercises cyclists are like, you know, chin ups, stuff like that, because they are carrying such a low mass that you know pro cyclists can typically you know i've seen pro cyclists knock out 100 long arm chin-ups and you're like what the fuck Ooh. you know bar ups this type of stuff a really functional fitness like a similar to a crossfit mm-hmm. you'll get your good mm-hmm. cyclists very good at box jumps this type of stuff that's amazing i did not know that about uh cyclists yeah what with um you mentioned before about the pedal to track like the force production and track the mileage and everything of the, the athlete is that is that design like is that a year thing is that something you use like you created no, I didn't create it. No, it's out. Uh, SRM was the initial company that created a German company. Uh, mm-hmm. That's out since about 2004, 2005, but it was a super expensive piece of kit. When I was in university, uh, was it 2006, 2007? I got my first power meter. And at the time I paid almost 2,800 euro for my first power meter. And I was a student in Ireland. So that's, that's tuition that. in Canada. <laughs> I had to forge a bank application loan. I had to say I needed a car to go to university and I spent the money on a cycling power meter. Uh, it took me well, like four I bet years you could still bike. get to university on the bike, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so we're lying. But yeah, look, they're a lot more affordable now. You don't need to falsify loans anymore for them. You're looking to ask, you know, six, 700 euro will get you a power meter now, which look, cycling's an expensive sport. So six, 700 euro, it's like you wouldn't get a set of wheels for that, but you get a power meter and, it's the number one most effective training tool because it now allows you to have an objective conversation with a coach. So before that, imagine this scenario where I'm coaching you and I say, okay, today I want you to go out, Chris, and do uh, two 20-minute hill repeats at medium intensity. Uh, like a medium intensity for you might mean something different to medium intensity for me, or else maybe we try and advance this dialogue instead of medium intensity. We try and use a perceived exertion scale. Mm-hmm. We say, okay, where 10 represents a maximum exertion and one represents no exertion. Try and go out at a seven out of 10. Athletes are notoriously bad at age and fatigue, especially when they are fatigued mm-hmm. like 16, 17 minutes into this. So what the power meter allows us to do is to have a conversation around objective measurements when I can say, okay, Chris, I want you riding at 300 Watts on this hill. So you just need to go out, literally look at the number on your screen and keep it at 300 Watts, come home. And I can see, okay, you've done exactly what you were told. 
or you went too hard at the beginning. So it's a perfect tool for pacing and it's a perfect tool for us to build training plans because now I can, it, it allows me to give prescriptions, accurate mm-hmm. prescriptions that you mm-hmm. can go and follow, which is so easy in the strength and conditioning world, eh? Cause you can just go, you know, the bar is 20 kilograms, stick two twenties on each side. It's so easy to give that prescription, but for years we weren't able to do that. Mm-hmm. And is this tied into your app you, you developed as well? No, this is, this is a technology that they built. Like do you, uh, use, you, you have an app ongoing app for coaching. Yes. Yeah. So we use uh, it's it's built into our system now. So we're pulling data and training files in every day from our athletes. So you're building this huge data picture for clients and Building this picture is essential because now it starts, we start understanding long-term trends like fatigue, like fitness, like freshness. Mm-hmm. So we can make sure they turn up to an event. Like if you've ever competed, you'll know sometimes you'll show up on event day and you're just perfect and you don't know why. But then other times the training's gone just as well, but you show up to the event day and you're rusty. And so this data set allows us to take the guesswork out of that. And it means you can show up to your event without being overcooked or undercooked, just perfect because we know, you know, what fatigue it takes to bring an athlete right to the point of exertion and then how much we need to taper them into events so they're fresh on the event day without losing that underlying fitness. So yeah, the data in the app and that data gathering is just so crucial to all that. Well, that's amazing because it allows you to, you know, customize your peak almost. And say, hey, exactly. we want you picked right around here based on all the data. Yeah, because you know that- it's such big industries. So, like cycling, swimming, running, all these sports now are they're big businesses. Like, and you couldn't have, you know, Lance Armstrong showing up in the Tour de France back in the day. Uh, his only race that matters commercially for the entire year, and hoping that he was on form. It mm-hmm. had to. I'm parking the morality around the other stuff he was doing. It had to be perfect for that day not for two weeks later not for two weeks before and so this huge industry of science developed around how do we condition athletes to peak for specific days so when if you're a you know an investment banker taking two three weeks to go to europe and do a whole fruit or one of these sort of amateur events it fucking matters to you and there's a monetary cost Mm-hmm. to you going there in terms of opportunity cost and what you could be doing if you didn't go. So you don't want to show up and be in bad form. And that's why these guys, you know, they trust companies like us to say, okay, we will get them there every time in good condition. Just takes that's the awesome. guesswork out of it. Yeah. And you know, it saves time and time, time is money for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Like I spot so long, my game was just basically swinging punches in the dark and hoping something landed. And some races I'd show up and I'd be like, oh yeah, I feel good. Other races, I think I've done everything the same and I didn't feel good. And it wasn't until I moved to a data-driven training system that I thought, okay, now I can replicate these results every week. Yeah, we see that a lot with uh, like strength sports. You know, HRV is a really big one. You know, what's your morning HRV numbers? How's your recovery? Recovery's good, throw more weight on the bar. Recovery's down low, take weight off. When I started, it was, here's the numbers. Here's the, the percentages of your lifting. Didn't matter how you felt, go lift, right? And then it was like, who's who's the strongest of the jungle? Essentially, who's the most robust and won't snap? And they're the ones who are going to survive. So the outliers would always win. But now you can, 
you can use data to take someone who's not an outlier and let them be their peak performance, the best of them that they can be on the day of. Yeah, it's all moving towards data. There's actually an Irish company that's making great strides out your neck of the woods called Kitman Labs. They're working on a lot of the National Hockey League teams. And so mm-hmm. what they're looking at is they put hundreds of cameras around the training fields or training rinks for these ice hockey teams. So they bring each player in and they're testing them for a baseline. So they're testing, you know, what's your speed for 10 meters? What, how fast can we expect these to accelerate? How fast can we expect them to, you know, change direction, to skate backwards? They get hundreds of data points, and this is their baseline. And now they have these cameras surrounding the training rink. So every session is recorded, and they're looking for deviations from their baseline. So if they have a player and he's you know, underperforming by 2%, 3%, they can give the manager statistical feedback and say, okay, if you don't rest this player today, he has an 89% chance of getting injured. And they're rolling this out across soccer, across NBA, NHL. So you look in soccer, like the cash, and hockey's the same. The cash is so big that these players are getting paid that if you can get an extra you know, 100 minutes, if you can get an extra two, three games out of these guys per year by using this data analytics... It's big, big business. Yeah, the NBA could have used that a few years ago. There was a Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant. He had the Achilles injury. He's in the playoffs. They uh they didn't they didn't rest him, they played him, he fully tore it. He was out for an entire season. Here's a guy who costs he costs 40 mil. You pay this guy 40 mil not to play, and then and then if he's not playing, people aren't going to the games. So yeah. that's a big that's a big loss <laughs> when you don't put that guy in, or yeah, if you don't rest him. It's insane. It's and we're getting the, the tech is developing so well. Like there's a company making strides in cycling now called Whoop, W H O O P. Yeah, I'm and aware. Yeah, use them for heart rate variability and stuff. Yep. But they're they're great for sleep tracking as well and activity mm-hmm. tracking. And but it's just building more data on the data set. Do you, do you know what's funny? So using like the Aura Ring, using Whoop, using um, uh, speed bar diameters, all that stuff. It kind of always comes back to some of the basic stuff. It's like when someone is not recovering, you look at, okay, is it the programming or is it, are they sleeping? Are they hydrating? Is their nutrition good? Is their stress in control? Right back to the very first start of this conversation today, you said, yeah, you get up in the morning, you write down gratitude. It's hard to be pissed off at the world when, when you're grateful. You get your sleep in, you get your hydration in, you root with the ground, you get some sunlight. Everyone doing that, your chances of being recovered are going to be a lot higher. You know, and that's why I'm conflicted about the the massive emergence of data. Because if you look at something like Whoop, or you know, we use Garmin a lot in bike racing, and Garmin will come up on your as you start the ride, it will look at your heart rate from your previous rides, and it will look at the heart rate for your first 20 minutes of this ride, and it will come up and tell you how well recovered you are. So we'll flash on my screen 20 minutes into a ride and say recovery poor, and um, but I could be like four days into a six day stage race. And it comes up recovery poor. And I'm like, well, what the fuck do you want me to do with that? Like, I need to get through this race today. Like, I have a job to do. I have a race that needs to be completed. And that can play into the psychology. And and you're like, you're on the back foot straight away today. Mm -hmm. Like, I've never seen studies on it. But if that flicks up and says recovery very good, I'm betting there's a different rider that day. I agree 100%. And that's why I think data to a point. But, you know, we need to also be aware that the mental side of sport is huge and data can definitely inform or undermine that mental side of us. 
Anthony, um, I know your time is precious and I appreciate you coming on the show for today. I'll just wrap things up here. Um, your conversation was, was amazing to me. I really enjoyed a lot of that stuff. What is going on with you in the future here? And if someone is listening, how would they best get in contact with you if they want to work with you or just see what you're up to? Yeah, I think the Roadman Cycling Podcast goes out five days a week and that's, I call it the Roadman Cycling Podcast, but honestly, it's very often not about cycling. It's about productivity, lifestyle hacks, biohacks, just really how to optimize health, happiness, and fitness. So every Wednesday we have guests on there. And like the last few weeks, we Danny Morell on last week. He was like a dude who's built a business up to over a billion dollar revenue per year and then sacked it all in and went pursuing, figuring out strategies to optimize health. So guys like him are Anthony DiClamedi's coming up this week, a biohacker from the US, brilliant guy, a good friend. So the podcast, Roadman Cycling Podcast, is a great way to catch up over on Instagram. It's just roadman.cycling or the website's roadmancycling.com. That's awesome stuff. I'll put it in the show notes so anyone can uh, have a gander there. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, I highly appreciate, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And I highly suggest anyone checking out some of your episodes. I was listening to some the other day. And I like your YouTube channel as well. I like watching some of those videos. I even got myself a little bicycle. Who knows what could happen? <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for coming on, my friend. I appreciate you. Awesome, Chris. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.